Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this morning to the Gospel according to Mark. And this morning we're turning back to Mark chapter 9. For those who are visiting with us, uh, we have been going through the Gospel of Mark in our mornings together. And uh, this morning we are coming to the end of this chapter. Um, We'll be focusing on verses 42 to the end, but we'll begin our reading back at verse 30. Uh, This whole section uh, is uh, connected together, looking at the idea of serving uh, one another as humble servants. Uh, And so we'll begin our reading at Mark chapter 9 at verse 30. And if you're using the church Bibles, you'll find this on page 845. This is speaking about Jesus and the disciples. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be, de- uh, to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, Cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. You have probably heard the saying at some point where people say drastic times call for drastic measures. 
it's a, a saying trying to highlight that in certain situations, a course of action might seem severe, but because of the situation we are faced, it's the appropriate course to take. Uh, it is trying to highlight that sometimes what seems to be uh, an extreme reaction is actually the right one to take if the situation is to be addressed uh, appropriately. Uh, you might go to the doctor and your doctor might recommend a course of action that you think is severe. Uh, this seems extreme to do surgery. This seems severe uh, to have to uh, follow this course of medicine treatment. Uh, this sounds like it's going to cause an upheaval uh, to my life. But the doctor will then try to convince you or try to lay out before you the physical condition of your body. They will try to explain to you the, the present situation uh, so that the course of action that he or she is recommending makes sense. Uh, in light of the fact that our body is so near to death, in light of the fact that our body is uh, filled with a disease or is in such a weak condition, uh, the doctor's recommendation which sounded extreme, suddenly sounds quite reasonable uh, because it is what is going to save life in the end, uh, as they are hoping. And in the same way, as we're turning back to the Gospel of Mark this morning, we want to see that there are times or there is a sense in which drastic measures need to be taken by those uh, who live in this world with regards to our spiritual needs. Uh, when we look at our spiritual condition, it requires a drastic or extreme or severe courses of action. Uh, and this morning we want to look at that uh, in this chapter. Jesus has already been explaining to his disciples what it means uh, to be a follower of him. Uh, he has described the path of discipleship. And you remember some of those things that he's highlighted already. That anyone who would follow him must bear a confession. They must be those who believe in Jesus. You remember that Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, Peter believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And that is emblematic. That is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You have a certain belief concerning Jesus himself. And that is represented by the disciples here. But it's also represented by all those who would say they are Christians even today. They have a certain belief about Jesus himself. But there's more to being a Christian than simply acknowledging something about Jesus. It is following Jesus. And what it means to follow Jesus is spelled out in Mark's gospel. Mark has already said that it involves a sense of self-denial. Uh, Jesus himself said, anyone who would come after me must take up his cross and follow me. He must deny himself. Uh, Jesus described self-denial at the heart of the life of the Christian. Uh, he's described not only uh, this idea of denial, but also dependence. When he spoke with the father he, of the tormented son, he said, all things are possible with the one who believes in God. And so he was pressing him to look in light of depending on God and not depending simply uh, on his situation. Uh, it also involves this idea of being servants. When Jesus was uh, facing his disciples about their desire for greatness, he set before them a child and said, whoever of you would be first must become last and servant of all. That they are to serve the little children. They are to welcome them in his name. And so Jesus has been shaping his disciples, trying to help them understand how they are to live as followers of Christ. But here, this morning, we want to think about another aspect. 
that those who follow Jesus must be marked by uh, a desire to sever sin from their own life. They are those who are trying to remove or to fight against uh, sin from taking hold in them. And we want to think about these verses, verses 42 uh, to 50, in two thoughts. We want to think about uh, the danger of sin, and then secondly, the directive with respect to sin. So if drastic measures are part of the Christian's experience, severe action, extreme action is required. Why is that? And the reason is, is because of the danger of sin. And secondly, Jesus tells us what the course of action should look like. Well, what do we do in light of that danger? So first, there is the danger of sin. In verse 42, Jesus says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. That's graphic language. Uh, that's very strong language that Jesus is using. Uh, but he's using it on purpose uh, because he is trying to highlight the seriousness of sin. Uh, Jesus here is bringing out something of the, uh, the danger of sin itself. And when he says, whoever would cause one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, the language there is not simply saying whoever would make someone commit a sin. But the word for cause to sin is a word that has the idea of ensnaring a person, of trapping them, uh, to entrap them in such a way that causes them to be offended uh, by Jesus. It's to ensnare them in such a way that would lead them astray from the faith. They become so caught up in something, in this sin, in this turning away from Christ, that it is leading them away from Jesus. They are now offended by Jesus. They now are repulsed by the claims of Christ, and they're now antagonistic to Jesus himself. And so what Jesus is saying here is, is that there is a warning of being responsible for causing another person to despise the Lord Jesus. He's, he's drawing attention to the impact of our uh, decisions. Jesus does not explain the way in which one causes another person to stumble, but rather the, the result uh, of doing so. And so he's laying a great emphasis on our actions. So oftentimes we think of our actions maybe in a very minimalistic way. Uh, what I do doesn't really matter. It only affects me. But Jesus is actually saying that what we do is important. Uh, it has an influence. It can have a great impact on others for good or for evil. Our actions, our life can become a great support or a great encouragement for others to believe. But they can also become great barriers that cause other people to stumble as they think about Jesus themselves. And Jesus here is warning of being responsible for preventing others from embracing Jesus themselves. And so he says uh, this warning, whoever would cause one of these little ones to stumble it would be better if a millstone were hung around his neck. Who are these little ones? Well, it would certainly include little children, uh, but it would go beyond that. There's no need to restrict it only to little children. It can refer to all those who are little in terms of their faith, those who are little in, in, in the sense of their vulnerability, those who are still not uh, secure in what they understand about Jesus. Jesus is warning about turning anyone away uh, uh, by, their, by their actions. 
And so he says this as a great warning. Jesus says it would be better if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. The millstone is a large stone that was used uh, for grinding grain. It was something that an animal like a donkey would turn uh, and uh, the graining process would be accomplished. But Jesus says it would be better to take that stone, that large stone, and to hang it around a person's neck and to throw them into the sea. Now, Jesus uses that language on purpose, even though it might sound disturbing, because the truth is, is that in the Roman world, people did do that. Um, The Romans did take large stones and throw people into the sea after hanging it around their neck. And many people thought this was very inhumane and it was a terrible fate for anyone to have to have to suffer death this kind of way. But Jesus is saying it would be better to suffer that kind of fate than to suffer the fate of being responsible for turning other people away from Jesus. For people living in the Roman world, living under the terror of the Roman Empire, who were afraid of upsetting the Roman authorities, Jesus is saying there's actually something worse than stirring the wrath of the Romans. And that is being responsible before God for turning people away from Christ, of causing people to reject Jesus by the way that they conduct themselves, by the way that they speak, by the way that they direct others under their influence. And so all of this, Jesus is actually emphasizing the impact of our actions, the impact of our lives on others, and the responsibility uh, we have uh, before others. So there's a danger. We can cause others to stumble. But there's also a danger that Jesus is emphasizing with respect to ourselves. In verse 43 and following, you'll notice that Jesus shifts and his attention turns to what we are doing to ourselves. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to hell. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Jesus here is using the same language uh, that he used earlier about causing other people to sin. He says, if you would cause another person to sin or to stumble, it would be better if a millstone were tied around your neck than to be doing these things. But now Jesus uses that language against ourselves. If your hand causes you to sin, in other words, if your hand, your actions are causing you to be ensnared, ensnared in such a way that the claims of Christianity are compromised in your life, that you are becoming offended by the message of the gospel, it would be better to lose those actions than to turn away from Christ. If your foot, what you're pursuing in life, your ambition, your desires, if those things are causing you now to despise Jesus, they are, they are distorting your way of looking at Jesus, it would be better to remove those things than ultimately to deny Jesus. And if your eye what you are looking upon, what you are envying, what you are desiring after is causing you to sin. It is causing you to be ensnared. It is, it is taking hold of your life. Jesus is saying it would be better uh, to cut those things out rather than uh, to turn away from Christ. We read in the book of Proverbs, and the book of Proverbs emphasizes the importance of guarding our hearts. It said, keep your heart with all vigilance, uh, for from it flows the springs of life. 
And so the writer of Proverbs was saying we have to guard ourselves in terms of our thoughts, our words, and our actions, that our heart is at stake. Uh, but Jesus here is emphasizing the danger is real because of eternity is at stake. He explains the, the danger of the situation by saying it would be better to go into life lame than to go into unquenchable fire of hell. So what's the big deal that Jesus is describing about sin? Sin, he says, leads to death. It leads to God's judgment. It leads ultimately to hell. And this is what Jesus is trying to emphasize. Such a drastic measure must be taken because it ultimately is putting us on the path uh, towards hell. Hell is not something that we like to speak about and it's not something that we often speak about. But it is important to realize that hell is something that is spoken of by Jesus more than anyone else in all of scripture. It is also true that Jesus speaks more about hell than he does about heaven. And what that is important uh, for emphasizing is because our view of hell is going to perfectly correlate with our view of Jesus. Of the authority of Jesus' words and the reliability of his teachings. And so while Jesus speaks more about hell than anyone else, he's not the only one to speak about hell. But our understanding of hell is based on our integrity, the reliability of Jesus himself. And Jesus here is warning about the reality of hell, a place of eternal punishment, a place of eternal torment, uh, where God judges and punishes sin. Uh, Jesus here uses that word uh, uh, to describe uh, that eternal uh, place. And he describes it with these two uh, analogies of a place where the worm does not die and the place where fire is not quenched. I said that Jesus uh, speaks about hell more than anyone else, but he wasn't the first. Uh, all of scripture uh, speaks about God's punishment and a punishment that awaits even after death. And that goes back to the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, uh, what happened was, is under some of the most wicked kings of Israel, uh, a very terrible practice emerged in Israel. It was child sacrifice. Even the Israelites did it for a period of time. Under the king Ahaz and under king Manasseh, children were offered up to Moloch uh, as a way of uh, appeasing, but also of securing prosperity. Ultimately, the prophets of God condemned this. People like Jeremiah said that this was wicked. And under kings like Josiah, this was put to rest. But when Josiah put this to rest, uh, this child sacrifice ritual that was happening in a region, in a valley, uh, that was known as Gehenna. Uh, what Josiah did is he wanted to desecrate the area so that it would no longer be used for child sacrifice ever again. And so he made it into a garbage dump. And the dump uh, was then set on fire. But then uh, more garbage was added to it, constantly. And as that garbage dump is growing, the fire continues to consume it. And over the course of time, the prophets of God would look to Gehenna, they would look to this place and they would describe it as a picture or as a representation of God's eternal punishment. They would refer to places like Gehenna 
as the place where the worm does not die. It is a place where God's, where the fire is not consumed, where a, a state of eternal undoing is, uh, is exercised. And we see that, for instance, in the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah, at the end of Isaiah's prophecy, it is a prophecy that is celebrating the salvation of God. The final chapters are celebrating that God's salvation will go out, that God's purposes will be accomplished. And at the end of that prophecy, it says, All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. That is a great celebration of the climax of Isaiah's prophecy. The people are to put their hope in the fact that God's salvation will come. But the very last words of Isaiah go back to the beginning. And the beginning of Isaiah is about Israel's rebellion. What about Israel's rebellion? And the last words of Isaiah return to this idea And it says, for their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Those are words that Jesus knew well. And that's the reason why Jesus uses the words here. He's appealing to the words of Isaiah. To the fact that God will deal with rebels. He will deal with those who have persistently rejected his glory to those who have rejected his grace and his salvation. They will be punished. And Isaiah describes that state of punishment by looking at the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. A state of unending torment where the worm does not die and where the fire is not quenched. Jesus believed in hell. He believed that there's a real punishment that awaits after death those who rebel against God. And Jesus' warning about the danger of sin is hinged on the fact that God will punish sin. So if we're going to understand Jesus' teaching to his disciples, it all comes back to why does Jesus think sin is such a big deal? Why is it that we need to be so serious against sin? And Jesus is saying we need to be serious about it because it causes people to stumble. It causes people to turn away from the truth, to reject God's grace. And the result of rejecting God's grace is God's unending punishment against sin. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus here describes that death as one that does not end. It is an ongoing state. That is something that the scriptures teach and something that Jesus himself here affirms. There have been many, uh, even in the church over the years, that have been uncomfortable with this teaching about eternal torment or eternal punishment. And many have tried to espouse an an understanding that perhaps after the resurrection, uh, the wicked will simply be annihilated. That after... Uh, after death, a person just simply ceases to exist. But the teaching that is clearly spoken by Jesus does not allow that. Because if you turn in your Gospels to Matthew 25, you'll see that Jesus uses the same word to describe the state of heaven as he does to describe the state of hell. Jesus says there in Matthew 25 that uh, these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. So Jesus sees all 
creatures living after death. There is life after death, but some to eternal punishment and some to uh, eternal life. So what is the danger? The danger is sin causes us to stumble. It can cause a person to be led away from God. And the consequences, the result of being led away from God's salvation is God's eternal punishment against sin. So what is Jesus' directive? Jesus uh, directs those. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, then cut it off. Uh, If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Jesus is not speaking literally here. That needs to be said because there's always been a small minority that want to take Jesus' words always literally uh, and have come to devastating uh, ends with that. But Jesus isn't speaking literally here. We know that because the law of God prohibits cutting oneself. Uh, The desecrating of one's own body is something that the law condemned. We also know that it's not what Jesus has in mind because it wouldn't accomplish the purpose that he is describing. Uh, A person may cut off their hand, but it won't prevent them from sinning. Because sinning is not something rooted in the hand, but is something rooted in the heart. Uh, Even if we don't have hands, even if we don't have eyes, we can still sin. We can still act out sin, even when we don't have hands and when we don't have eyes. So Jesus here is using this language in order to capture something of the radical demands of following Christ that it requires uh, uh, a painful steps to be taken against sin. You've probably heard different farming accidents uh, over the years. And I remember one story of someone who was sharing a farming accident where an individual had their hand mangled in a piece of farm machinery. Uh, The man was all alone and he was caught in his equipment. No one knew where he was. And it would be days before anyone would even know that he wasn't home. Uh, and being stranded out in the middle of nowheres, he tried endlessly, it seemed, to, to get his hand free. Uh, but after realizing that he was all alone uh, and there was no one coming to help, he made the painful choice of cutting off part of his hand because he realized that it was either his hand or it was his life. It was either survive or it would be die with his hand. And so he made that painful decision to cut off part of his hand in order to get free. Jesus here is using very powerful language to try and emphasize the need to make those painful decisions about guarding our hearts and about doing things that might be as painful as losing our own hand or losing our own eye. You think about our own culture today. We are a consumeristic culture. We, we enjoy entertainment. Uh, But entertainment can become so attached to our lives that it would feel like a form of dying. It would feel like cutting out our eyes to lose it. Uh, But if entertainment is causing you to sin, then it's a decision you have to make to say this is something that is poisonous. If we're watching Netflix and it is uh, something that is feeding lust into our lives, then we need, need to make the choice to cut that out of our lives. We need to realize that these things have an an, an effect on us and that we need to uh, make those decisions. You think about the screen time. uh, It is reported that teens have about nine hours of screen time a day. Uh, What are we using that screen time for? Uh, Is it something that is uh, feeding uh, a sin? Uh, 
in our own lives. So it may be cutting out entertainment. It might be even cutting out relationships that are causing us to go against the word of God. It might feel like cutting out uh, our own leg. But Jesus is saying it would be better uh, to cut off a relationship that is causing us to go against God's word than to allow it uh, to undo us. We might be even our line of work. It might be that we have to make a cutoff from our line of employment. If our employer, employers are causing us to sin, uh, it might seem painful. And yet at the end of the day, it uh, is not allowing sin to have a foothold on our lives, not to compromise our conscience, and not to endorse something that goes against the lordship of Jesus. And so as J.C. Ryle says, what Jesus is saying is, is that nothing should stand in the way between us and the salvation of our souls. We need to be deadly with sin. John Owen would say, be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's why Jesus uses the language he uses. Cut it off. Because sin is like a parasite. It is, it is trying to grow. It is trying to ultimately take over. And we need to be guarded, uh, guarding our own hearts. So Jesus uh, directs us uh, to cut off uh, sin, whether it is uh, our eye or our hand or our foot, what we're pursuing or what we're finding our pleasure in. But it's noteworthy to see as well that Jesus not only directs us uh, to be serious with sin, but also how he goes about doing that. We mentioned how Jesus talks about the danger uh, or the reality of hell, that it would be better to enter life lame uh, than to go with two feet into hell. And we could look at these words and think that Jesus is simply trying to scare us into a course of action. But Jesus isn't doing that. He's not simply warning about hell. He's helping us prioritize life. It would be better to enter life than to enter hell. That's Jesus's point. He's making us step back and to say, what are we living for? Are we willing to bow and to give our whole lives for sin? Or are we people who live for God? Jesus here is helping us look at all things in light of the God who exists. It is a prioritization of eternal life. Rather than giving ourselves up for sin, which will only bring ruin, we are to commit our lives to Christ knowing that whoever believes in him has life. To enter life, as Jesus puts it, is the same as to enter the kingdom of God. And to enter the kingdom of God is to repent of our sins and to believe in the Lord Jesus. And so Jesus here is calling us to treasure God more than sin. To, to look at life as to what is important, what do I cherish most? Is it, is it sin? Or is it the God who has brought salvation through this Lord Jesus? A person enters the kingdom of God then, not by having a perfect scorecard, not by being exempt from all wrongdoing, not because they have cut off every known sin in their lives. A person enters the kingdom of God by recognizing that they have sinned and by turning to God in mercy and to Jesus as the solution. It's when we believe in the gospel uh, of the Lord Jesus. And that's what Jesus is getting at when he talks about salt. 
in the final verses there. Uh, for everyone will be salt, uh, salted with fire, and salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Uh, there's a word link between these verses uh, of using the language of salt. But the key to it all is knowing that salt was associated with sacrifice. Uh, that sacrifice is an act of dedication to God. And Jesus here is saying that his people are to be marked by dedication. They are those who are consecrated to God, having been the recipients of his grace. They no longer are enslaved or mastered by sin, but they are to live dedicated to the glory of God, that this is what they are to treasure themselves uh, in their own lives. Salt in Palestine uh, was from the deposits of the Dead Sea and was not from pure sodium chloride. And so the salt could uh, uh, leak out or leave uh, other mineral uh, deposits like gypsum. And if that happened, uh, it was not obviously salt uh, and it could not function as salt. That's what Jesus is getting at here. For salt to function as salt, it needs to be salt. For Christians to be Christians... They need to be dedicated to Christ. If we're not dedicated to Christ, then we can't function as disciples. And so Jesus here is really highlighting drastic measures that mark the life of disciples. The drastic measures is that they are relentless with sin. They are not to allow it a foothold in their lives. Whether it's what they're looking at, whether it's what they're pursuing in life, whether it's what they're acting in their life. Why? Because of the danger it causes to others, but also to themselves. Because sin is real. Because hell is real. But also they are to realize that God's grace is real. And if we have come to believe that God's mercy is available for sinners, then we won't look at sin the same way. We'll hate it. That's Jesus' point. Rather than shelter it and nurture it, we will despise it everywhere we see it. We will repent of it. We will be humbled by it. We won't want to tolerate it. Because we'll want to constantly be people who are marked by consecration and dedication to Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think over these words, uh, that we would uh, be able to examine our own lives, knowing that there are sins that we struggle with, Help us, Lord, to realize that uh, sin is an offense to our God. Help us, Lord, to understand the uh, danger of sin. But help us, Lord, also to be able to respond uh, to the, the presence of sin in our own lives. That we would uh, call upon you, uh, looking to be delivered from our sin, and trusting that in Jesus Christ there is salvation uh, to those who put their trust in him. Go before us, then, we pray. And help us to prioritize life, uh, to prioritize the kingdom of God more than the comforts and ease of sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.